0: We are in the study of the book of Hebrews So if you got your Bibles this morning I'd invite you to turn with us to Hebrews chapter 12 We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 11 today While you're doing that I wanted to mention again The idea of who's your one So we've been talking about For all of us living on mission Who's that one person that God has put into our life We're not sure of where they're at spiritually And so with that in mind we want to pray for them on a regular basis maybe even on a daily basis and then try to take that opportunity between now and the beginning of 2023 to get with them be intentional try to have a gospel conversation a spiritual conversation if it doesn't go there that's fine right we're following the leadership of the holy spirit But that's what we want to do. And so we've got hundreds of names. I'd encourage you, maybe if you haven't put your name on the board, make sure that you do that. But when we introduced this back in August, one of the things I said, I'm not even sure I said it in every service. It was just kind of a throw-in line. But it was kind of, hey, if you get that opportunity and you see them come to faith in Christ, why don't you go circle their name? So on Thursday, there was actually nobody in the auditorium, which is really weird and rare around here so we were gathered for prayer so i said to the staff hey let's go let's go pray over the boards right we try to do that periodically and what was so cool is, i got over here i saw there was a name circled and then there was another name circled and there was another name circled i went hallelujah right thanks for not telling me but at least you circled the names right that's exciting and so listen live on mission and again if you have that opportunity put that name we're going to pray with you over them but man if if they come to faith in christ make sure that you let us know we really want to uh to rejoice with you and now as they start their journey of discipleship of following after jesus so where we're at in hebrews uh we just dealt with chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 and if you were with us one of the things that we said that that really is the great summation of the book of Hebrews it is the superiority of Christ that Jesus is far superior to anything under the law because he's writing to people who had grown up under Judaism had heard the gospel had come to faith in Christ had left Judaism but now they're facing persecution both by the Romans because we think this is written someplace in the neighborhood in the mid 60s AD so think Nero, the Colosseums all that's going on but they're now also facing persecution from those who have not left Judaism and so in many ways, the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to remind them to keep their eyes focused on Jesus, to run this race with endurance, to don't turn back, because just like Jesus, who for the joy set before him, for us, there is a day coming with great reward. So, So keep focused on that. And that was on the heels of, of course, Hebrews chapter 11, which is this great stories of faith those that both ended in triumph and those in tragedy we've got to be people with faith because without faith it's impossible to please God so I want to just for the sake of making sure we understand the context I actually want to start reading in verse 3 but let's read this text I'll read it out loud if you'll follow along that would be great for consider him who was Has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate sons, children, and not sons furthermore we have earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness so the admonition in chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 is this run the race with endurance how do you do that well you lay aside every weight you then lay aside every sin And specifically, that sin which you struggle with. Number three, you run with endurance. You run with patience. You understand this is a marathon. We are living for that day that we're going to go see Jesus. And number four is that you fix your eyes on Jesus. And that really is, we talked about last week, is kind of the key thing. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus, eyes on the prize is huge. Because what happens is this. When we go through difficulty, when we're... you know life gets hard and we drop our eyes to jesus and we drop our eyes now to the situations around us that's immediately when the enemy shows up and starts speaking those lies into our ear look at what you're going through god doesn't love you god really cared about you why would you be facing this man look at all this stuff is god mad at you that's exactly what happened. In fact, I was thinking about how, you remember the story of Peter who, uh, well, actually, all the disciples are out in the boat and they're in the middle of a storm, and here Jesus comes walking on the water, right? I don't know if there's reruns in heaven, but that would be a cool one to see. So Jesus will walk on the water, and what we're told is he's actually going to walk past the boat. You don't think Jesus had a sense of humor, right? They're, ah, and he's just going to walk right by him, right? And in that moment, is that you? Yes, Lord, you know, the, yeah, it's me. And so Peter says, hey, can I come to you? And in Matthew it says this, and Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus, right? So he's seeing Jesus, right? Jesus walking past him, so you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. He gets out of the boat, he's walking on the water. But, but seeing the wind... He became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. What a beautiful picture. He's got his eyes on Jesus. He's walking on the water. But about that time, you know, some of the, the spray from the, the waves hits him in the face, wakes him up. Little cool breeze, right? He starts looking around. He drops his eyes from Jesus. And all of a sudden, now all he's seeing is the waves of the wind. He begins to sink. That's exactly how this happens. I've told this story before because to me it's power and I've heard it told about different ones. In fact, I just heard Andy Stanley tell that this happened to his dad Charles Stanley, which I thought was really cool. So uh the story was that Charles was going through a hard time. He was, of course, pastor of a big church in Atlanta, but he had some really rough days at the beginning. And in the midst of that, an older woman, mature woman, will go there, invited him to come over. She wanted to speak to him. Now, I can tell you personally as a pastor, that's exactly what you want to do when you're going through hard times is go do house visitation. So he knocks on the door. She invites him in. She says, I'm going to go make tea. I want you to look at this picture. And I want you to think about it. Now I can already tell you what he's thinking if it's me. It's like, what am I doing here? I have so much going on in my life. Why am I here, right? You don't say it out loud, you just think it. And so finally lady came back in with tea and sat down and said, What do you think of my picture? Oh, it's a very nice picture. You know, I'm glad you had a wonderful story of Daniel. And she goes, No, 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 no. You missed it. Missed what? Where does Daniel have his eyes? So eyes are on jesus not on the lions and that's his whole point fix your eyes on jesus folk i don't know what you may be going through today i don't know what you may be going through personally maybe financially maybe physically maybe in relationships but this is what i got to tell you is keep your eyes on jesus focus on jesus because when you focus on jesus the first thing he's going to tell you and first thing that's going to happen is going to be encouragement to you in fact that's the whole verse three so that you will not grow weary and lose heart right jesus is our example jesus is the one who you, you think about who he's writing to they're facing all this persecution well jesus faced persecution guess what from the romans and from the jews And yet he kept his eye on the prize. He walked by faith. Better than anybody even in all those Old Testament stories. Jesus did this so you could. And, And so it brings encouragement to us that Jesus has been there. You think about what the writer of Hebrews has already said, that he... He is not a high priest who can't be touched with the feelings of our weakness and our infirmities. He's been there. He's touched it. He knows right what you're going through. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Secondly, when we see Jesus, all of a sudden we begin to realize that maybe what we're going through is not that bad. We all, I think, as humans, have the tendency to think that the world kind of started with us and probably ends with us right and so man when you look at the stuff going on in my life it's just it's terrible it's horrible we drop our eyes from jesus and we get looking at all the stuff going on in my life and it's so bad and it's so terrible he says no 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 look at jesus verse four you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood and striving against sin what he's trying to say is listen i know you're going through persecution yeah and it's hard it's difficult it hurts but you haven't given your life yet but jesus has jesus went to the cross he endured the shame why all for that future day for the joy that was set before him when you and i keep our eyes on jesus what we begin to understand is perspective it reminds us just like with jesus this world is in our home we're living for another day that what i'm going through here today in the big scheme of things isn't that big of a thing he's going to see me through and oh by the way it may lead to death it may be lead to the shedding of blood, but that's okay because that's also going to bring great reward just like it did for Jesus. It's about perspective. Paul talks about that perspective in 2 Corinthians 4. Where he talks about what he went through. And he said this, For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It'll encourage you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It'll keep you having the right perspective. You get your eyes on, on the problems, and then it just becomes overwhelming. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The third reason, though, is we focus our eyes on Jesus because it keeps us from drifting. Did you notice what he says in verse 5? And you have forgotten. The exhortation which is addressed to you is, as sons. And he quotes now from Proverbs 3, written by Solomon My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved of him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. One of the things that happens when we get our eyes off of Jesus is we begin to deal with the emotion of today. The emotion of what I'm going through, instead of standing on truth. Now, I realize I am a different generation. Some of you are my generation. One of the hard things that we have to deal with is this world, where you know we we kind of grew up in that scientific era, era, right? We, you know, everything was about it's got to be science, it's got to be truth, right? There there was there was truth and there was non-truth, and that's that's what you based your life on. Now there's a generation that's come after us. It's not about truth. It's about emotion. In fact, now I can have my truth and you can have your truth, right? And it's hard for us to kind of figure this part out. Here's the problem, though. When we base ourselves on emotion that that's that's when we become overwhelmed that's when the enemy starts speaking into our ear that's when you know god doesn't love us god doesn't care about us And, and his whole thing here is keeping focusing on jesus keeps you from drifting from the truth he says you've forgotten and he quotes solomon here from proverbs well solomon in judaism his wisdom is the greatest wisdom in fact he's mentioned this before if you turn a couple of pages back to chapter 5 Hebrews 5 he's already brought this up he says concerning him we have much to say speaking of Melchizedek and it is hard to say because to explain since you have become dull of hearing See, they've gotten their eyes off of Christ. They're, they're focused on just all the things that they're facing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracle of God. And you have come to need milk and not salad food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But salad food is for the mature who because of practice have... Train their senses To discern good and evil Standing on truth When we focus on Jesus we stand in truth The truth that he loves us The truth that he is for us The truth that he is there In fact that's the heart of what he's quoting now So he quotes from Proverbs 3 And this idea That our God is a loving Father to us That he cares about us That he's at work And this truth is central to christianity this idea that we are beloved children and here's what happens we get our eyes off of jesus we get our eyes on all the problems that are going around the enemy comes and whispers man he doesn't really love you he doesn't really care about you If he was really for you, why would you be going? We're dealing with all the emotion. We're listening to the lies. And yet, if we focus our eyes on Jesus, we focus on the truth that God has said that we're beloved children. And that that's how he views us. And that he can, he can deal with us in no other way. I mean, as I said, this is a central idea and a central truth of Christianity. You think of John 1, how in his prologue to his book, he said, but as many as received him, to them he gave right to become who? Children of God. That's what this is all about, that we're born into God's family. You think about how Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 5, be imitators of God, how? As beloved children. Children. We are the children of God. He cares about us. John comes back in his epistle and writes these beautiful words. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are today. This isn't a future thing. We are today. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now, today, we are the children of God you are beloved if you know jesus you're a child of god and so he deals with us as a loving father and so he is going to discipline us now when we think discipline for most of us there's a negative connotation it's a corrective discipline for those of us that are parents we all understand there are two sides to discipline There's corrective discipline. You've done what I've told you not to do, right? So there's consequences to that. But most of us as parents know if all you do is corrective discipline, A, your life is going to be a zoo. And secondly, you're going to raise really dysfunctional kids. There's another part to discipline, which is maybe even a hair more important, and that is instructive discipline. Right, we're teaching them how to act, we're teaching them how to behave, we're 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 setting that example, we're we're leading them in that good path. And that's what we're called to do. Well, that's what God does for us as our loving Heavenly Father. And you begin to think through Scripture how God's discipline both instructive and corrective happens through all that happens in our life because we, we live in this world and, and so often what we say is from God is, is or not it's just kind of we'll think of Job everything that Job went through was that from God? No it was from Satan the Scripture's pretty clear on that was it corrective discipline to Job that he went through? No was God mad at him? No but was there instructive discipline? That's the that's the highlight of the book. I I had heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes have seen. I know, right? Instructive discipline. You think of uh, you think of Paul. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, he tell, uh, excuse me, Second Corinthians 12, he tells us the story about how he was caught up into heaven. He calls it the third heaven. It's the very presence of God, saw things there that most people we don't get to see until we go home. And then he says this, and because of the surpassing greatness of this revelation, To keep me from exalting myself There was given me a thorn in the flesh A messenger of Satan to torment me To keep me from exalting myself Now let me ask you Is that from God? No, it's from Satan Does God allow it? Sure, but it's from Satan It's It's a messenger of Satan Pretty clear Is this a corrective discipline for Paul? The answer is no It's not that but does it become an instructive discipline? And you'll remember the very next verse, he says, I asked the Lord three times to take it away, and God just said no. And this is what he says. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is actually perfected in your weakness. So he says, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. It was, it was God was teaching him. God was instructing him in his way. God was in that process of making him more like Christ. But God was taking something difficult in life and using it as instructive discipline. In 1 Corinthians 11, he actually addresses some corrective discipline. Here's these, this church that's pretty immoral. And they're they're treating the sacrifice of Christ and taking communion with contempt. And Paul comes and says, listen, for this reason many among you are weak and sick, and number even sleep. So now he, he looks at he he looks at sickness and even death. Was it corrective discipline? Yeah, it was. Does that mean every sickness is God is trying to correct no. No. Sickness just happens right statistics prove jesus doesn't come back none of us are getting out of here alive something's gonna happen is god all you know is he mad at us no but even in those moments can god teach us can god instruct us absolutely So, folk, you've got to understand, when we think about the discipline of the Lord, it doesn't mean that every bad thing in our life is God's corrective discipline. We live in a fallen world. Bad stuff happens. So, Tuesday is my main study day. Don't always get my sermon done on Tuesdays, but it's my main study day. This week was a horrendous week. I had a big old board meeting for our association on Wednesday. I had a boatload of stuff to do on Thursday. So t- this week, Tuesday, was crucial. And sure enough, man, we plowed through it. And this, this is really good stuff, right? It's, it's, it's awesome. And I, I just I was, enjoyed it so much. But I, I finished that up. And late in the afternoon, I got gotta get a text from my mom. Something's going on with her computer. I am her IT guy. All right? which is cool because I'm finishing this up, and it's great. So I don't know if it's 5, 5, 30, 6 o'clock, something like that. And here's the thing you may not know about me, but years ago, God threw me a bone. It's just something that it, it, it moves my soul, and I drive a convertible. It, it's a 2008 Chrysler Sebring with 160,000 miles on it. Now, I don't know what it is about putting the top down, but for me, that's just man, that's my happy place and uh so I thought okay, I'm she only lives a mile from me. that's great so I get in the in the garage and I thought I'm gonna put the th- remember Tuesday it was kind of overcast it was nice and cool, right top down weather this is perfect, so I'm hitting the button, and the way mine works there's the thing the the top actually goes in the trunk so the trunk actually opens this way the thing comes down it closes it's really kind of a neat thing so I'm putting the top up so the trunk opens the thing gets here and it stopped it stopped now again you got to understand this is a 2008 Chrysler Sebring that's on its last leg I mean, we're going to replace it. Uh, the plan was even this spring, but you've seen car prices, right? So we're going to save a little bit more because this is the big one. I get to get what I really want. So I've got to get it to, to November and December. So, But I don't want to put any more money into it. In fact, this summer, the air conditioner went out, and it's like, I don't want to put any money into it, but it's like really hot here in the summer. So, you know, I did, it killed me. But now here I am on Tuesday, and this thing is undrivable. The top is up and the trunk is up. Up. and I can't put any more money into this. I've only got to get another, another 45 days, right? And I got to be honest with you. My first question is, God, are you mad at me, right? Isn't that how our heart goes? Yeah, that's how it goes. Thankfully, uh, many of you know Jim Kelly is my neighbor and he kind of, we we we're able to pull something out The top went it went back up the trunk closed it will never go down again that's okay because I've only got about 45 to 60 days that this thing's got to get through Is God mad at me no did I do something wrong no it's an old car stuff happens can God teach me patience? Yeah, Can he give me a great sermon illustration? Yeah. <laughs> but folks, you just got to understand that everything bad in your life is not God whacking you upside the head. It's just life is. But here's the beauty, is that He can take whatever it is and use it to teach us. And that's why Solomon says, "Don't take it lightly don't take lightly the discipline of the lord don't ignore when you're going through tough stuff that maybe god's in the midst of this obviously he may not be doing it but he's allowed it what is it that he's wanting to do and he's what he's wanting to say and i wish i had more time to unpack this but i'm running out of time But do you remember that verse back in Hebrews 5 That we looked at It's a hard verse to understand Speaking of Jesus Although he was a son He learned obedience from the things he suffered And having been made perfect He became to all those who obey him The source of eternal salvation I don't have time to unpack that We did go find it on YouTube But the question is How could the perfect son of God Learn obedience from what he suffered Well we talked about it was experientially was the suffering god's was it god's corrective discipline to his son absolutely not he was perfect but was it instructive discipline did he learn how now he can he can be that faithful high priest who's been touched with these yes so if god loving his son brought that into his life wouldn't he do it for us so don't take it lightly the other thing is the opposite end of the coin is don't faint don't give up that's what happens to so many you know we get our eyes off of jesus and we look at the problems we're hearing the whispers that god doesn't love you god's mad at you man you just can never measure up and so often what we do is we throw up our hands and we quit or we get mad at god And here's the problem when Christians get mad at God. We know theologically it's not good to be mad at God. And so we think that somehow maybe he doesn't know that I'm mad at him. So what we do is we turn our back and we walk away. Like he doesn't know that we're mad at him. And that's all a lie of Satan. Don't faint. What do you do when you're mad at God? You can lean into him, Lord. I don't understand. I only needed forty-five more days. Why won't this top go down? You, 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 you bring that whole piece to him. Now, I would suggest that a he's not always going to explain it thoroughly. You think of Job. Best we understand, Job never understood what was really going on behind the scenes. But he'll give you wisdom. He'll give you instruction. James is all about countering all joy when you fall into diverse trials, testings. And then what does he say? If you lack wisdom, ask of God. Lean into him. If you're mad at God, tell him. He knows already. Let him speak for himself. He'll do that. But his point here, and I, I've got to finish, in verses 9 and 10 is just simply this Our loving Heavenly Father is at work in our life. Furthermore, we have earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father's spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good so that we may have His holiness. You know, we we sing this all the time. God is for you. He's not against us. Most of us in here are parents, right? We love our kids, right? Were were we against them? Were we we trying to screw up their life? Do we hate them? No. Did they think we hated them? Yeah, sometimes, right? You you, you make them do their homework. You make them eat food good food not just junk food you you what you you give them chores that they got to do right their perspective because they're living in the moment but you know that because being a good parent you're trying to raise a healthy functioning adult well his whole point is if we as Earthly parents who aren't perfect in this can kind of figure that out. How much more God, who knows us, loves us, and oh, by the way, is perfect, is always working towards our good. <laughs> then there may be the certainly the understatement of uh, Hebrews, maybe the understatement in the Bible, verse eleven. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Is that not an understatement? I mean. There have been those times when we walk through that, we say, okay, God, that was so much fun. Let's do that one again. So for me, the first eight years of my time here at Desert Springs was this kind of a time. And to give you some framework, I'd served in churches, I served with a large church I was a youth pastor of a church of over 2,000, and a couple hundred kids in my youth group one we on staff at Palmcroft, I mean it grew from 500 to 1700 in those seven years that we were there uh, to be real honest with you, when I thought of my first church it was, it was never 55 people, right, but that's what God called us to do and, and great um, and, and here's a, again, maybe another point Uh, This is painting with a broad brush, but maybe this might help you. I I live and work in the community of pastors. It's not true for every single one, but you would be surprised more often than not. You want to understand why a pastor acts and reacts the way they do? Most pastors struggle with insecurity. Just true. Now, having said that, I will tell you, that is not my issue insecurity self-doubt my mom might tell you arrogance, pride but not, not, not that so when I came to Desert Springs and man, we're going to set the world on fire and I had a vision in fact, I had a vision and it was so strong and it was so powerful I had a brochure I could give it to you right 40 to acre 80 acres of land and it was buildings and it was programs and I told you some of the stories that we went through where we knew we had to close down the church a couple times and financially I mean literally it was week to week and we took checks late and we had just one missed stop after another and and eight years in, it probably culminated, I, I tell you the story about Black Monday, where this land that I prayed for for eight years, then we had the opportunity to go in and have a conversation, and then we're so politely told that there, there wasn't a snowball's chance. And I, Here's the thing, folks, over those eight years and all the good that God was doing, but all the difficulty he was walking us through. God in his infinite love was doing some discipline both instructive and corrective in my life because he was beating the stuffing out of my pride and arrogance my vision and it was tough can't tell you how many times I wanted to quit times that I just felt like, you know, there's a song that that I like that talks about you've never cried till your tears come from faith, right? You believe it, you know it, but it's so far from your experience. But fast forward to today, and I look at what God is allowing us to do as a church, to minister to other churches, to come alongside pastors who are hurting, who are walking through those difficult times. We would have never been able to do that had God not walked us through that season. See, as a loving Heavenly Father, He knows what our hearts need. And so He's always working for our best, and our best is just clearly to become more like Jesus. So, folks, I don't know what you may be walking through today, what may be deep waters or difficult. What I do know is I I can't tell you why, and I can't tell you why God has allowed it, but what I can tell you this is a loving Heavenly Father, He is always working to our good. And whether it's a corrective discipline where God's trying to to, to deal with some stuff, or it's an instructive discipline of we learn more about Him and, and His faithfulness and His goodness, don't quit. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. He's the prize. Don't quit. Don't turn away. Don't get so engulfed in the emotion of the day that you forget the truth that you are loved and he's at work in your heart.